Well, good morning. It's good to see you here today. Encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs. Just turn to Proverbs. We're going to be looking at a lot of different Proverbs today. Uh, It's a little unusual in our approach that we're taking this morning. We typically, if you're new to us, we typically do what's called biblical exposition, where we take a passage of Scripture and we look at that passage of Scripture, we read that passage of Scripture, and we work through what that text says to us as, it, as we try to bring out the meaning and application. This morning is more of a topical message, and we're going to be looking at that uh, message regarding humility um, from the book of Proverbs and some other places. And so it's a humbling thing to preach on humility. And yet that's what we're going to look at this morning from our Bibles. So if you will, let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer and ask for his help. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true and that it is our authority. And not only do you teach us by it, you convict us through it. You shape us and you conform us to the image of our Savior by it. And so, Lord, we ask now for your help to understand what you call us to be as your people. Lord, my prayer is that you would make Redeeming Grace Baptist Church a church filled with humble people. That you would help us see the glory and the beauty of living lives marked by humility and grace. So Lord, it's my prayer this morning that you would help us see that and you would convict us in areas where we are prideful. Help us to see and confess and repent of those places. And indeed, Lord, would you humble us today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, we are overly fascinated with ourselves. We want to be seen as important, needed, valued. And that's not something you have to be taught. It seems to come naturally, doesn't it? Just this past week, I did some quick research on just this idea of what the world has to to say regarding self. I did a quick search on the word self-esteem, and it yielded some 116 million results. There are endless titles of self-help books out there. And oh, we can't forget about the selfie. Thanks to the invention of the self-portrait feature on our smartphones, you just lift up your phone and take the picture. Of course, you apply filters to get rid of the flaws, and after about 20 pictures of getting it right, you finally post it. And there you are for the world to see and comment on just how beautiful and great you are. Did a search on Instagram, hashtag me, 383 million results. In an article titled, How Selfies Became a Global Phenomenon, Elizabeth Day concluded, to some, the selfie has become the ultimate symbol of the narcissistic age. And there's always the classic bathroom selfie in the mirror 
on and on I could go. I'm not here to criticize selfies today. Perhaps there's an appropriate use of them from time to time. Most of the time, probably not. Or maybe you're not so much into the selfie, but you do post. And you do find a sense of self-worth based upon how many likes you get on your posts. There's nothing like that sense of rush that it gives you to see that number increasing with that little red notification going up and up and up. Friends, the normal refrain from our culture today is that you are amazing. And I get 30 minutes, well that's a lie, 45 minutes to tell you you're not so amazing. You see, this culture works hard to foster this sense of self-righteous pride that we do just fine cultivating ourselves. Friends, the Bible calls us to something much different. It calls us to find true greatness for sure, but true greatness found through the pathway of humility. See, the Bible often presents us with the irony that humility results in exaltation. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James, in James chapter 4, verse 6, says very clearly that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Charles Spurgeon once said of humility that every Christian has a choice between being humble or being humbled. I think that is so true. Our purpose is clear this morning. We're going to see from God's word that we as God's people are called to put on humility and forsake all forms of pride. And friends, by God's grace, we will spend the rest of our lives seeking to do that. I think it's clear up front that there is no perfect, humble person this side of heaven. That Jesus was, but outside of him, none of us are perfectly humble. But how do we pursue and cultivate more humility in our lives? That's what I want us to look at today. As we consider humility, we're going to take a look at it kind of from four different angles. We're going to look at what it is, why we need it, how it behaves or what it looks like as we cultivate it, and our ultimate example as we find it in Christ. Let's look first of all at humility defined. You know, I think it's important if we're going to be called to pursue or cultivate something in our lives that we understand exactly what it is that we're after, what it is that we're called to pursue. And so then how does the Bible define humility? Well, you're not going to see an exact definition like Webster in the Bible. Humility, this is what it means, full definition, but I think we get some glimpses as to how the Bible uses it and in the context in which it uses it to help us understand what it truly is at its very core roots. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4, we read this. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Now, Proverbs 22, verse 4. The focus of that verse highlights the reward or the benefit of humility, right? The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And so, riches, honor, and life is that which is given to those who 
seek to live humbly. But I want you to notice something else in what that verse says. Notice it says the reward for humility and fear of the Lord. It's as if the writer of Proverbs here is equating the two or at least identifying humility with fear of the Lord. But the Bible and the world present us with starting points on understanding who it is we really are. But what we find in Scripture and what we hear from the world are radically different. The world will tell you that self is your starting point. Whereas the Bible will tell you that God is our starting point. Where you begin will make all the difference in the world regarding the pathway that you follow and where you end up. It will have a significant impact on how you view yourself. We read passages like Proverbs 22 that tells us that humility and fear of the Lord are seen almost as one and the same, that, it, that it's a humble action to fear the Lord, and as those who fear the Lord, you're walking in humility. Now, we're not saying that you should never think about yourself, or there's absolutely no place for a sense of self-worth in your life at all. We're just saying that's not where you begin. Indeed, you cannot and will not appreciate all that you are until you have a right understanding of who God is. It was in his Institutes of the Christian Religion that John Calvin said, it is evident that man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God. So humility begins with a right understanding of God and a right fear of the Lord, which then helps put true reality, that, that gives us true perspective of who it is we are in view of who God is. So when we come before the Lord, we see Him as holy, as righteous, as perfect, as glorious. He is infinitely glorious. He is all-knowing, he is all-wise, he is ever-present. He is far, infinitely greater than you can fathom. And you begin to get a sense of who it is that God is. Then you will begin to get a sense of what humility is truly like. So humility begins with having a right understanding and fear of the Lord which then helps put true reality of who we are. When we come before the Lord and we see him for who he truly is, we begin to get a true perspective of who it is we truly are. You see, you can compare yourself to others and you'll always come out well, don't you? When you, when you compare yourself to someone, you can always come out better. Even when you're having a bad day and it seems like everybody else, you just, you just Stay at it, and you'll, you'll find somebody that you can say, oh, yeah, I'm in a better situation than they are. I look better than they do, whatever the case may be. But, friends, when you compare yourself to a holy and righteous God, we all fall short. 
I know that Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7 is a familiar verse to many of us. We go to it often, especially when we're thinking about guidance and the Lord guiding our paths. I just want you to hear it, and I want you to hear kind of what's going on in, this, in these few verses. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, we read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You see, we typically go to Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 for the second half of verse 6. We're after make straight our paths. And it's fine to go there for that reason. It's in the text. But I want you to notice what's all around it. Notice he says, that he's doing some contrast here, isn't he? He says, trust in the Lord with what? Proverbs 4.23, out of over the flow of the heart, flow of the springs of life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not, do what? Lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, do what? Acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. And then look at verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Do what? Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We know, according to chapter 1, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But I think it's just as easy to say that the fear of the Lord is also the beginning of humility. I think the Proverbs can virtually be boiled down to this overarching point that we see here in chapter 3, but you see it all throughout Proverbs. At the end of the day, I think Proverbs is getting at this very simple point. Trust God and not yourself. The key to humility, and therefore wisdom, is that we aren't wise in our own eyes, but we should trust and fear the Lord. Quite different message, isn't it, than that common refrain we hear from the world time to time, just believe in yourself, kind of nonsense. And so when asking the question, am I humble enough? I think another way to ask that is do I fear the Lord? Am I fearing the Lord? Am I understanding who he truly is? Or am I leaning on my own understanding? Am I trusting in the Lord with all my heart? Am I in all my ways acknowledging him? Am I fearing the Lord? Or do I tend to lean on my own understanding? Do I tend to be wise in my own eyes? Well, there's a little bit of sense of what humility is. It begins with a fear of God. It begins with having a right perspective of who God is and his sovereignty and his holiness and his righteousness and a true understanding of who we are as sinners before a holy God. Putting things in right perspective immediately out of the box, doesn't it? But let's talk about the, num the second observation we see about humility, and, and that's the need of it. Humility needed. See, the struggle with pride and humility goes all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, we find the serpent in the garden there with Adam and Eve. Creation was finished, it was good. The man and woman had been created and it was very good. They were stewarding the creation that God had made. And we pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the, tr- of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And then listen to verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was there with her, and he ate. And the rest is history. See, Adam and Eve, their act of rebellion came from hearts that desired to be wise in their own eyes. They sought to lean on their own understanding instead of fearing and trusting the Lord. Proverbs summarizes this quite well, I think, in Proverbs 28, verse 14. It says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. It's a good summary of what happened in the garden, wasn't it? They sure, surely fell right into calamity and plunged the rest of the human race with them. You know, when you think about this verse in particular, Proverbs 28, verse 14, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Notice the writer refers to the one who fears the Lord versus the one who hardens his heart. Again, just another way to highlight the difference between the one who trusts in the Lord versus the one who trusts in himself. And friends, because of sin, because of Genesis 3, because of this, this, this corruption now, this, this, um, this train wreck that happened in the garden, we all now are impacted by the curse. And we are born with this hard wire to elevate self. We are, no one has to teach you how to try to lean on your own understanding or how to be wise in your own eyes. There's not a class for that. We don't teach our children how to do that here. They come with that. Right? It's part of the package these days. And not only are we born with this with this corruption with this bent our culture continues to encourage and foster it so so the deck stacked against us so to speak when it comes to humility indeed humility in our day and time is not seen so much as a virtue as it is a weakness and so we are not encouraged by our own hearts or by the world to trust and fear the lord that that doesn't come natural Instead, we are prone to trust ourselves, to lean on our own understanding, to be wise in our own eyes, and the world would seek to continue to encourage you in that direction. Friends, when we think of this issue of pride, pride is something that impacts all of us. 
Again, just like last week when we talked about the sluggard, you can always look and find somebody, somebody who's more sluggish than you. The same is true with pride. You can always point out those who are prideful, right? Well, I may struggle with pride, but man, it doesn't look like that. We're always comparing ourselves to other people. And we're always coming out pretty good. But pride, listen, all of, us, all of us wrestle with it in one form or another. It's the sin behind all sin, some would say. And the warnings throughout Scripture are numerous. Just a little taste of Proverbs, of what it says about the warning us against pride. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Proverbs 16, verse 5, everyone who is arrogant in heart, listen, is an abomination to the Lord. We like to apply that word to abomination to all kinds of other sins, especially cultural sins of our day. But listen, if you struggle with pride, you're an abomination to the Lord, the scripture says. Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 18, verse 12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 28, verse 26, whoever trusts the Lord, or whoever trusts his own mind, is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. I just cut it off at five, just for time. On and on and on and on you can go and see just the destruction and the depravity and the warning against pride. Because not only are we warned about the dangers of pride, we also see weaved throughout that how humility is tied to wisdom. And the issue is, is that we all need humility. So how do we get it? Well, the only way that you can truly find humility is through Jesus. So we know that Jesus came and he lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death we deserved to die. He took upon himself the judgment and wrath of God against our sin so that we could be welcomed into the family of God and given life forever with him. Listen, we do not come to Jesus once we're humble. We come to Jesus because we're proud. There's a big difference. If, you, if, you, if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, you should never think, well, I wonder if I'm humble enough for Jesus to accept me. That, we're tempted to think that, aren't we? All of us have thought kinds of things like that before. I wonder if I'm good enough. I wonder if I'm faithful enough. I wonder if I'm humble enough for Jesus to accept me. I wonder if I'm kind of making the cut, so to speak. Listen, Let me just answer that question for you. You're not. You're not humble enough. You're not faithful enough. You're you're not good enough. God is not just sitting there waiting for you to somehow get above a 70. Friends, when we think about our hope, what we should think is we should come to Jesus with our pride, understanding that he died for prideful people. He died for those who were haughty in spirit. He died for the arrogant. 
And so we don't say, am I humble enough? We recognize, Jesus, I am not humble enough. I'm a proud person. And I need my pride forgiven. And I come to you asking you to forgive me of my sins. And knowing that only what Christ accomplished in the cross, only that can cleanse you, friend, of your pride. You don't clean yourself up and come to Jesus. You come to Jesus a wreck, a mess, dirty and flawed, and he cleanses you by his blood and he clothes you in his righteousness. That is the beauty and reality of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus actually humbled himself. Philippians 2 says, to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that you in your pride could be forgiven. It's an amazing thing. So the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not be humble and come to me. It is come to me in your pride and I will make you humble. Friend, if you've never trusted in Christ, I encourage you and plead with you that you would look to Him and that you would, you would understand that only, only life eternal can be found in Him. The one who, who can handle your pride is Christ. Friends, we will never find true humility until we've been humbled under the shadow of the cross. Number three, humility expressed. Once you understand what humility is and how it's gained, then you can begin to faithfully pursue and cultivate it in your life. And, and so, how do you do that? How do you grow in humility? What, what are we encouraged in, in the Bible? Well, we, we need to see what it, what it looks like. We need to see how humility behaves. I want to point out several things here. We could, we could look at a number of things, but I want to point out four particular things of, what, of how humility behaves. And it all flows from our heart. All right? So when we think about walking in humility, we think about as Christians who have been humbled under the, underneath the cross, we know that only in Christ can we find peace and hope with God. And then by the work of His Spirit in us, we can begin to walk as humble people. How do we grow in that? It begins, number one, with a reverent heart. A reverent heart. Proverbs 10, verse 8 says, The wise of heart will receive commandments. Proverbs 13, verse 13, Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres commandments will be rewarded. Friends, humility is a recognition that what God speaks and what God commands is of first importance. One of the ways that we demonstrate humility in the fear of the Lord is by listening to Him and obeying Him. And that assumes that we are reading and understanding and applying God's Word on a regular basis, doesn't it? I mean, he didn't just give us these to, to look cute on our bookshelves or wherever you put this. They're to be used. Pride dismisses 
what God says. Whereas humility embraces what God says, depends upon what God says, longs for what God says, desires what God says, hears and does what God says. Pride would say, I don't have time today for what God says. Pride would say, I haven't opened this book until since last time this hour, last week this hour. Friends, your willingness to hear God and submit to his commands is an expression of humility. You're demonstrating that he is the authority in your life, not you, not the culture. This is true in a variety of different places in our lives, whether it's moral issues or financial decisions or work-related decisions or family decisions or serving others. Just on and on we could go. God, if he is the authority of your life, then you will want to listen to what he says. You will want to pour yourself into what he has to teach you and to instruct you in. Friends, one of the ways you can see if you're growing in humility is just consider the amount of time you spend in God's word. I'm not here to give you a guilt trip. I have no idea how much time you spend or don't spend in God's Word. But I can just tell you, if you do not spend time regularly in God's Word, you are a proud person. It's just true. It means that you're not interested in what God has to say, or you don't have time for what God has to say, or you're not willing to listen or slow down long enough to hear what God has to say because you've got it together. You can, you can handle it. And just consider that. Consider the amount of time you spend in the Word and how often it informs and shapes how you live. Beginning each day with time in God's Word says to God, I need you. Lord, I need you. Whenever it is you spend time, it doesn't have to be in the mornings. It tends to be the best time for me, but it doesn't have to be for you. All it's saying, though, is that, Lord, I don't have the capacity. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the understanding to, to adequately navigate this world that I live in that has fallen and broken because of sin, because of me, because of the rest of us. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes in me to just go about my day. I need you. I need your word. I need your Holy Spirit making me sensitive and aware of what your word says. I need a reverent heart. Not only a reverent heart, a receptive heart. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 31 says this, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof gains intelligence. Reproof is correction. Now, there's no one on the planet, I don't know everybody on the planet, speculating, but I would guess to say there's no one on the planet that naturally loves or enjoys correction. I mean, anybody here? I mean, maybe you exist, but I doubt it. I don't know that anyone that wakes up in the morning eager to be corrected. However, a humble person will not only receive correction, but will often pursue it. Just ask yourself, how do you handle correction? 
We know there are a variety of places where we can find relationships where correction happens. There's the relationship between parents and children. We know the fifth commandment calls us to honor our father and our mother, no matter your age, no matter how challenging you might find it to be. So there are times when parents must correct their children. Listen to Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Parents, you're welcome. Friends, we're called to listen. And when corrected, we're called to respond to that correction. Could be parents to children, could be friends. We know that Proverbs 15, 22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. We need other voices in our lives encouraging, instructing, and helping us understand. Whether that's friends or whether that's others who are in authority over us in some capacity, speaking into our lives, helping us navigate this world. And and when we're going one direction that doesn't seem wise, having someone speak to that so that we can make a course correction. Friends, listen, this may be a newsflash to some of you, but you don't know everything. You just don't. You may feel like you know everything, but you don't. There's a lot that I don't know. Reminded about that every day, it seems. And when you find yourself having to always be right, always correcting people, unwilling to listen to counsel, you are acting in pride. Pride is a dangerous trap. And it will often lead you to wrongly conclude that no one understands your heart better than you. That's just simply false. You may have a good understanding of your heart, but, but our hearts are deceptive, aren't they? Paul Tripp, in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand, said, My self-perception is as accurate as a carnival mirror. Consider a few questions. Who do you have in your life that has the ability to correct and instruct you? I want you to think about that for a minute. Who do you have in your life that has the ability and permission to instruct and correct you? When is the last time you asked someone to help you see yourself or something more clearly? When is the last time you simply acknowledged that you were wrong? We need people in our life that have permission to correct and instruct us, and we must remain teachable. Receptive heart receives correction. Number three, a repentant heart. A repentant heart. Sometimes it seems that repentance is not a term we talk too much about as Christians, but listen, without repentance there is no salvation. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 
The late Jonathan Edwards said, spiritual pride is very apt to suspect others, but a humble Christian is most guarded about himself. He is as suspicious of nothing in the world as he is of his own heart. Again, it's easy to see sin in other people's lives. It's easy to point out their faults, but humility will lead you to first see the log in your own eye. Humility will lead you to to recognize sin in your life and to be willing to confess and forsake it. Regular confession of sin and repentance is a mark of humility. And I just ask you even in 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 your walk with the Lord individually, are you confessing sin regularly and specifically to God? I'm not talking about, Lord, forgive me of my pride, forgive me of my selfishness, forgive me of of these general categories of sin. Are you specifically going to the Lord and saying, Lord, forgive me when I was an idiot in front of my kids today. Forgive me for being selfish that I wanted time for me and not giving it to others. Forgive me for speaking harshly. Forgive me. Friends, are you specific in your confession? The more specific you are will reflect the more humble you are. Regular confession of sin followed by repentance is a mark of humility. Number four, the reflective heart. Humility begins in the heart So it makes all the difference in the world what you put in it. We talked about that several weeks ago. Many things that you can continue to do to to foster humility, but I want you to know two things I want to just give you about a reflective heart, a heart that's that's focused and meditating on other things. First of all, you need a heart that is regularly aware of the gospel of grace. John Stott in his book, Cross of Christ, said nothing in history or the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves until we have visited a place called Calvary. It is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. Brothers and sisters, you and I need to regularly contemplate the cross of Christ and the wonder of grace. fact that we are undeserving, guilty, traitors of the king, and yet we've received full pardon, adopted into the family of God. We have a seat at the table. We've been given the king's name and his inheritance, free. The more you are aware of that in your life, the more humble you will be. That's why a works-based salvation just just continues to to cultivate pride. But it's those who know grace for what it truly is. It's those who will walk in humility. Not only the gospel of grace, but the attributes of God. The more we have an accurate view of God, as I said earlier, and of ourselves, the more we will see humility grow. Again, the problem is that we compare ourselves to others, and we always come out better when we do that. But when you compare yourself to the one who is perfect in holiness, the one who made you and who has authority over you, when you compare yourself to him, there's no more to be said. 
a heart that is reflective of these truths. So we see how humility can be embraced, how humility can be fostered and and cultured in our lives as we seek to, to have these truths, a reverent heart, seeking to follow the word of God, the voice of God, a receptive heart, willing to receive counsel and rebuke and correction, a repentant heart, very specific in your confession and forsaking of sin, and a heart that's reflective on the beauty of the gospel of grace and the glory of God. But last but not least, we need to briefly mention humility embodied. We, we shouldn't end our time without considering the one who perfectly displayed humility. There was no greater demonstration and example of humility in all the world, in all of human history, than in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. In in Mark chapter 10, verse 42, we read, And Jesus called them to him and said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus called his own disciples to walk in humility, he did not leave them without a clear witness of what that looked like as he sought to demonstrate it himself. And if you want to see what true humility looks like, you look to Christ. The one who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The one who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, the world will not make it an easy place for you to pursue humility. It will continue to push you towards yourself and not to the Lord. But it's only when we see the truth of who God is that we find out the truth about ourselves. And friends, having that picture of who we are before the Lord is infinitely better than the best filtered selfie you can ever create. Ever. Because friends, only when we are humbled before God, it's only then you'll find true joy, true life, and true satisfaction. Peter said it well. He said, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Friend, this is what we're called to be. Humble followers of a great king. Let's pray together. Lord God, we we hear your word and we quickly admit that we fall short of your standard. Father, it's my prayer that you would expose in each of our hearts today the pride that is so prevalent. Pride that exists in us in so many different ways. Lord, there's pride in all of our hearts that we don't even see. Lord, would you open our eyes to that? Would you help us to see ways that we exalt ourselves 
that we lean on our own understanding, that we seek to be wise in our own eyes. And Father, would you help us to confess and forsake it? And would you move us toward humility? Lord, again, it's my prayer that you would make us a humble people. I'm thankful for the humble examples that we have among us, and Lord, for, for the way that we can encourage and spur one another on in this way. And Father, would, would you continue to allow that to take place? Would you help us to see the beauty of what true humility is? And would you help us to pursue it with every ounce of our being because of the grace given us in Christ? Father, this is your word to us. Help us now to receive it, to hear it, to obey it, all to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.